0: It's Dr. Stu's Podcast with me, Dr. Stu, and Kimberly Durden. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Stu's Podcast number 101. Uh, you know, uh, Catch us on iTunes. Uh, you can find us at drstuspodcast.com. Send us an email at askdrstu at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Give us five stars. You can also find me through birthinginstincts.com and Kimberly through kimberlydurden.com. Original name there, Kimberly. How are you doing? <laughs>
1: I'm great. I'm excellent. You know what? Uh, I was my youngest child. You know I have half a dozen children. Not six, 17 like you like to joke <laughs> and say. And my youngest six, six, 10,
0: 10 six, 17 what's the difference?
1: <laughs> and my youngest uh just turned five last week god i can't
0: believe that because i just i remember when she was born yeah and as a matter
1: of fact i got a 20-week ultrasound with you you confirmed what my intuition was telling me which was that she was a little girl yeah, and yeah. my intuition was also telling me that she was perfectly healthy and uh, i got it right you were right oh my god you were right like a broken clock <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> and you know what else um i anyway she turned five and she started Kindergarten last week, which was.
0: Oh, congratulations.
1: Yeah, uh, it's so awesome. Like, I've been, I was so verklempt like last week because she, I have six kids. I've been. Did through, you just th- use a Yiddish word? I did. Listen, I'm, <laughs> hey, you know, it's part of our you've been hanging American lexicon you around me too long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I used it correctly, didn't I? I was verklempt because my daughter started kindergarten and it's my last child doing that, you know, traditional thing. And I was really, really sad, as excited as I was about her starting um, and and the time it was going to open up for me to finish my schooling and things like that. um, Oh, man, I was so sad. It was such a milestone. And I'm like, wow, you know, it really reminded me that the years just fly by. Um, But it's funny that, uh, I mean, she had such a big week. She had a birthday. She lost a front tooth. She went to school all, you know, all day long. She kept asking the teachers, like. Why is this day so long? <laughs> after lunch, she would look at the teacher and be like, "I still have more school stuff to do. Like, I have to still stay here." Wait, so here? kindergarten
0: isn't just half a day? No,
1: it is. I it think it was a, half a day when I was a kid. It's full day. She goes from eight to two thirty, and she. can uh, be even, lo- i would be. I would be saying the same, same thing. thing, right? Not to mention, <laughs> she's hilarious because she's told me like after the first couple of days, she's like, "By the way, mother, you know, mom, I refuse. I will not use the bathroom at school." And I said, why not? And she says, they're old. The bathrooms are old. That's
0: funny. I, well, some so she, of my kids wouldn't do the bathroom at school either. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so, she, so I realized that probably she was wondering why the day was so long because she had to go to the bathroom and she just wanted it to be over so she could go pee in her own toilet. you know. But it was really funny watching her.
0: Did it, you get that? Are you just assuming that or did you actually get that out of her? Did, that, did just, you get a reason why she thought it was so long, or you just didn't even?
1: I uh, no, she oh, okay. just. But I just think it's a new experience, and that you know well, she's she, not wrong. She's not wrong. It is a long eight, day. Eight to two thirty. Did is you she eight to two thirty? That's and, six and
0: a half hours. Yeah,
1: and she's never been to school before this, so it's a whole new thing for her. You know, but, that's
0: thirteen. That's thirteen Doctor Stu podcasts. <laughs>
1: almost i'll let her know yeah, just
0: yeah if she you know if she you should just see how long she could sit and listen to a doctor's podcast <laughs> you know? if you're
1: like if you're like on video like she could and doing something funny she probably could sit there and watch oh it. yeah she knows a we lot about, she knows a lot about birth you know the interesting thing is that since she didn't go to preschool and i i do you know i'm all midwifery student and I do births with midwives as a student um, until I'm licensed. Uh, You have to say that and be very clear so I don't get in trouble. But she has gone with me on prenatal visits and she's taken part in, you know, measuring bellies and listen. I mean, I remember one time I took her to a prenatal visit and like she wouldn't let me use the Doppler. She's like, I know how to do it. I got this mom, you know, four years old. And, you know, so I thought in some ways she's going to kindergarten and she knows a whole lot more about life than probably a lot of kids that are...
0: Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? For sure. Just
1: like what it's all about. It's just so fascinating. When they
0: they start to teach like... uh, You know, biology and stuff, and she's gonna be really annoying to the teachers.
1: Yeah, (laughs) she's gonna be like, No, that's not right. Yeah, she's gonna
0: go, That's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Yeah. And uh, that's not how they come out. Exactly. Exactly. But you know,
1: being in the birth world, and (laughs) those of us who are birth workers, you know, our kids are around our work. And, you know, my oldest daughter is 25 years old, and I remember her preschool experience, um, her um, very cool. preschool teachers in Brooklyn um kind of who got it and knew what I did for a living were like um by the way your daughter was having a La Leche League meeting upstairs in the little play loft with some (laughs) of the other girls and the baby dolls then suddenly someone was birthing and your daughter's three and she knows what a pelvis is but we understand you do this for a living so they're around it and it's so cool because they get it you know and I love it. But yeah, anyway.
0: it'll be good for her later in life just to be more adjusted and she can be somebody that, that when, when she hears craziness or she hears ridiculous uh, uh, skewed information that she'll be able to correct people and and say you know no 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 wait a minute that's not the way it is there there's other options there's other choices
1: definitely and ironically enough or you know to your point my oldest daughter i have a uh, has a little boy she and her partner have a three-year-old and he was born at home and i never tried to convince her to have a home birth or anything like that. It was just something that she was comfortable with. As a matter of fact, she was born by C-section because she was a breech baby. And I I was given a C-section. But she had a home birth and never, you know, didn't seem odd to her at all. And it's just kind of what you do. But the reason why I bring up my youngest is because, you know, as some of your listeners may know from previous podcasts, or if you even have heard me tell a little bit of my story before my five-year-old um, was born at home when I was forty six years old, um, and you know what, does, oh what does that make me like a freaking? You mean you you weren't
0: uh, you weren't uh, you weren't treated like a uh, like a. Stick of dynamite, ready to go off. Being that you are advanced maternal age, oh, I was like a grand bull chip and a V back, and oh my god, oh my god, oh my god.
1: I was an uber advanced maternal age. I mean, I look at women's charts when we request. Well, medical it's not patient,
0: possible that your uterus could work, and it's certainly not possible that your placenta could would not give out.
1: Well, yeah, and probably old. I wouldn't even be able to breastfeed because everything's already dried up. I'm so old, right? Forty six. I'm just ancient. But I have to tell you that when I was pregnant, I. Um, had I I was checking out my process and I was checking out that I had my I had absorbed some of that message from society, even though I knew better. And I had said to my midwives, like, aren't you guys afraid of me? Because I'm like, old and I'm pregnant. And like, yeah, I'm just like an accident waiting to happen, like an emergency waiting to happen. They were like, no, are you healthy? Yes. Okay, well, we're not worried. And I and even though I got that information from them, I I had this little bit of thing within me that felt like the oldest pregnant woman ever, right? Like I would walk around feeling like I don't look like other pregnant women who, all pregnant women are much younger than me and I'm kind of an anomaly. So one, uh, I was uh, doing a conference in March of that year. I'll never forget. And I bumped into one of my amazing mentors, a beautiful uh, woman who's a master's of public health, a dietitian, and IBCLC probably has, she probably has some other letters behind her name. And uh, she's a beautiful woman from uh, Ghana, West Africa. And she saw me and, and I said oh wow hi Gondu how are you I saw her at this conference and I was like oops I'm hey look at me I'm pregnant again <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: kind of like you know kind of sheepishly yeah and she said and she looked at me and she said um, you know you know that's great and I said yeah well you know I'm remarried my husband has no children we, we wanted to have a child together and uh, she said well you're not going to give him just one child <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, um, Igandu, uh, I'm 46 years old. And she just scoffed at me and said, well, in my country, we have our babies into our 50s. And I realized that, you know, my whole worldview about what it means to be, you know, too old to have a baby was very much shaped by this society and this culture. And even though I thought I was so with it and so open-minded and had seen so much, I still carried that, harbored that of course feeling. She and she really, I mean, that, I'll never forget that. That actually made me feel at ease. It actually made me feel, feel proud and it made me feel normal. So well, you know. and
0: culturally, we we even in America, we're delaying. You know, childbearing is delayed. The average age of the uh, a woman having her first pregnancy keeps climbing every every generation um, because we're delaying childbirth for many reasons, which we can get, we could get into on another podcast so about the social issues and things that cause us financial issues, uh, educational issues, whatever. The delay childbearing, but
1: you and know, we're living longer. some of
0: some of your I mean, some of your thoughts were not wrong. To make it a fear is what's is is the is the problem, because yeah, I mean risks do go up okay. as you get older for certain things to happen that wouldn't that are less likely to happen when you're 25 than when you're 45. But the idea that every 45 year old woman is a disaster isn't is no more true than saying that no 45 year old women uh, have problems. I mean, right. there are anecdotal stories on every side when your when when your friend says. Uh, that we have babies into our 50s, that may very well be true, but I'm sure that the complication rate, and the miscarriage rate, and the genetic abnormality rate of babies going in when women having babies in their 50s is higher. It's it. You can't take an anecdote. You know, you've you've heard me say this on Dr. Stu's podcast many times that the plural of anecdote is not data, and you can't make a decision based on an anecdotal story here or there. But that is very interesting that you would bring that story up about feeling how you felt. Because even when women don't feel that way in the conventional medical practices here in, here in uh, the United States, they're often f- forced to feel that way because they're given information by the fear-based medicalized obstetrical world but, I mean, that it, makes them think of things that they wouldn't have thought of. And now they're, they have anxiety where they never would have had it.
1: Exactly. And I agree. But I do want to say that even I, across the board in mainstream medical care, I, I mean, if you ask any woman right now who whether she knows anything about childbirth or not how old is too old to have a baby she's gonna say well i or if she's in her 30s she's gonna say i gotta hurry up because if i if i wait till i'm 35 that or or you know then that's 35 i'm too old right and god and then if you're 40 you know that's just like really stretching it and i actually just quickly i have a midwife friend in uh Louisiana that just contacted me and she just told me that she was inspired by my story and had no children until her her first was born at age 42 because I had suggested that she just at least you know give it a go like why stop yourself because there's this possible chance that you're gonna you know you know the risks but at the same time we don't just suddenly just you know shrivel up and die at 35 Plus one day or something.
0: No, usually it's about forty-six. I think.
1: <laughs> what you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, yeah, you're you're over fifty now too. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah, we used to be in the same decade, but I've now I've now surpassed you. <laughs> damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Uh, okay, so anyway, I wanted uh, that's that's a very good uh, story, but and you told me that story without really knowing where I was going with this. Uh, letter, um, which I did email you this morning, because I think you wanted to tell the story anyway. So, that, yeah. but they do seg- uh, segue very, w- very good into each other because, uh, uh, you know, at the askdoctorstew at gmail I get letters all the time, which I respond to every one of them, maybe not as thoroughly as I responded to to Paige, who sent me a letter uh, just the other day. Um, and she says this, and you know my my former co-host Brian, who is a radio professional, and I, I miss Brian. Um, uh, I miss his jokes, I miss his uh, his uh, impersonations, and all the things that he brought to the podcast. However, uh, having you, Kimberly, is uh, is a whole new bag, and it's very happy. But he used to say, <laughs> "You got to keep your audience going, and you don't want to be reading stuff to your audience." But I am going to take a moment here to read a letter from Paige, and then read my. Uh, sort of lengthy response because, and I'll get into why I responded l- lengthy in just a second, but here's what she had to say. Uh, Dear Dr. Stu, I had just had a friend induced at 39 weeks because she was of, quote, advanced age, unquote. She is 39, maybe 38, but she was told that women of her age are all induced at 39 weeks because if she's allowed, and she underlined the word allowed, Mm-hmm. To go to full term, the chances of her baby dying increase. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Uh oh. All right. Her father is an OB in Montana and he concurred with that, with what her doctor in LA told her. Hmm. So she says, I guess I am surprised because I do follow you and Kim and the work that you do. As I did have two awesome home births and I understand I am not the norm, not because I had two awesome births. (laughs) She likes the word awesome. awesome, but because I had out of the hospital births. I wanted to believe for my daughter's sake that we are moving away from the path of medicalized birth that seems to be giving us poorer outcomes but this quote advanced age induction unquote has me surprised and maybe a bit more concerned. Yeah. Okay. So Thanks
1: this is, Paige this is, for yeah, writing
0: th- in. Yeah thank you Paige. Um, this is a this is an interesting letter to get on the heels of like, a few months ago uh, the uh, debate that so called went on in ACOG where they talked about why not induce everybody at 39 weeks? And suddenly now you're starting to see uh, f- reasons or finding reasons to, to induce people at 39 weeks. And this is a new one on me, and I'll explain why in a second. I, I could have responded very quickly to her and said that her doctor, that, that lady's doctor was full of shit, <laughs> okay? Which would be a very Dr. Stew type answer. How- I kind
1: of would have said the same thing.
0: How- however, uh, it deserves more of an explanation than that because... It really, this is really a problem with counseling and informed consent that goes on daily uh, around, you know, throughout our country and other countries too, in the offices of, of physicians who are not really giving true informed consent, not respecting the right of in, right of informed consent and ref, uh, and refusal. So I responded to Paige, and I wrote, uh, dear Page, uh, thanks for sharing this. The misuse of statistics to skew clients down a path the OB prefers is unethical and, sadly, pretty much the standard these days. It's really a matter of understanding and explaining the difference between relative risk and actual risk, and then respecting the woman's decision. In relation to your story, the overall risk of stillbirth at 37 weeks is about 3 per 10,000. At 42 weeks, it's about 11 per 10,000. So the relative risk is about 3.6 times higher. And then I said, uh, quote, uh, parentheses, FYI, at 40 weeks, uh, the actual risk is about 4 per 10,000, or almost the same as 37 weeks. So I wanted to put that in there because this was a 39-week recommended induction. So uh, the risk of uh, stillbirth at 39 weeks is about the same as 40 weeks or 37 weeks. Okay. It does start to go up after you get beyond 40 weeks, but this is the point. So I go on. Counseling gets complicated, and honest counseling is very time-consuming. You can tell a woman if she waits past 39 weeks, the stillbirth rate increases. This is true, but it's very misleading. A woman told only this would certainly lean toward induction. However, if you told her actual risk, not relative risk, you would say that at 39 weeks, the chance of a stillbirth is 1 in 2,500. At 42 weeks, the chance is 1 in 909. So at 39 weeks, you have a 99.96% chance of not having a stillbirth. Hmm. While at 42 weeks, it's 99.89% of not having a stillbirth. Hmm. So these are not really statistically different. It's actual risk that is often not discussed. The denominator matters. Hmm. I go on to say, now, as women age, these risks do rise a bit. Women age 35 to 39, as in your story... Have a relative risk of about 1.4 over younger women, and having a stillbirth.
1: So that would get added on.
0: Well, you have to—it's a multiplier. But the actual risk is still going to be very, very small number. It's how the data is presented by the practitioner that matters. Mm -hmm. And in a fear-based maternity system, you can count on the data being skewed toward whatever is expedient to the system. Right. The other important factor for this whole saga is that is and that is rarely mentioned is. What are the risks and benefits of induction versus the risks and benefits of expectant management to the mother, which is what's being, what what's being criticized here? We know that the cesarean section rate is higher with induction, especially with women with an unripe cervix, as you would expect many 39-week primips to have. Right. Most of my colleagues do not consider the consequences of higher cesarean rates with induction to be significant. With higher cesarean section rates come complications not only with recovery, but in future pregnancies as well, right. not to mention the psychological impact of losing control over her birth choices. All these things ethically should be discussed with the client and allow her to decide based on her individual interpretation and life experiences what she, sh- what she wants to decide should be respected, but they are all too often ignored. So I conclude by saying, so sadly my experiences and observation does not conclude that ACOG and the medicalized birth world gets it. Choices do not seem to be growing. What is, quote, allowed, unquote, is shrinking. In fact, there is a lot of pushback from a system that has led us to a 32% Hmm. cesarean rate, rising maternal mortality, and its failure to teach the next generation of practitioners the skills needed to respect pregnancy and birth options. As you say, we should be concerned. And then I sigh, and I give her a big hug. And I say thank you. So I wanted to thank Paige for that. And we talked last uh, podcast number 99 about, you know, we talked about restrictions of choices and what's being allowed. And we're seeing that across the country, um, you know, breech birth, VBAC birth.
1: Well, even natural birth, really, when you think about it, because isn't it Well, there's no
0: such, what is natural birth? I should, sorry. Baby coming out of the vagina. Okay,
1: I'm saying normal normal physiologic physiologic birth, birth. birth <laughs> right
0: yeah because to some people natural birth means the opposite of a cesarean no you're you're absolutely right,
1: right sue and i usually do say physiologic so thank you for um correcting me on that but i mean isn't it, it, it where i know one of our colleagues was just talking about the fact there's a certain hospital in los angeles that has that has no ob's that are skilled in ma- you know physiologic birth so that means that if you're trying to go to that particular hospital and and you're attempting to have physiologic birth, it's most likely not going to happen because their OBs are not. None of the OBs are skilled in that.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. interesting when you say that because it, it just it, my brain immediately goes to the fact. Well, what skill is required to be trained? Well, exactly because i was, do, to do nothing.
1: I was about to say manage. Man, no OBs that know how to manage physiologic birth, but I'm like, what do you manage? I mean, it's more about watchful. Uh, they don't
0: know how to not intervene, is what you're saying.
1: There you go. Right. There you go. Um,
0: so. Right, because because again, they look at they look at pregnancy as if somebody's uh, coming to them with abdominal pain but, and they, uh,
1: and they need to do something. <laughs> well, also there's not a there they're not, you know, there's no training in physiologic birth, so there's not a familiarity with physiologic birth. Um, it's a paradigm. It's the paradigm is the you know, that they use as the paradigm that they've been trained in. And so, um, you know, they're not comfortable. Um, it doesn't, you know, when we, when we have OBs, I mean, one of the things that kind of is interesting about certain OBs that tend to work with, with midwives or who have been work, who have worked with midwives or who, who were trained by midwives have some many times a different approach. Um, but anyway, I mean, I think that when you're talking about, um, this this situation that Paige brought up, um, give me some more of your thoughts because I think what's interesting is this relative risk versus the absolute risk, and I think for laymen, why don't you break that down? What does that mean?
0: Well, relative risk is just uh, relating the risk of something happening to you versus the av- which is versus something that's uh, uh, you know like an average. Like for instance, for instance, um, uh, the example I always use in the office is if if a disease happens in 2014, and there was one case per million people in California. Right. And the next year, there were two cases per million people. All right? You could say that the risk has doubled or that the relative risk is two of getting this, this disease. And that may sound a lot worse than saying your risk is still one and a half a million. Right. Okay. Exactly. So when I say that the risk at age... Um, at 39 weeks, of a stillbirth, is or not having a stillbirth is 99.96, and I tell you that the risk of not having a stillbirth at 42 weeks is 99.89. Right. All right. That sounds way. That sounds different. a whole lot better and different <laughs> than somebody saying it's a, there's a 3.6 increased relative risk of this happening. So, you know, again, it's all about counseling and it's about what's. Uh, and again, I. I, Why? I understand where this comes from. Right. But it's not ethical. Because but well,
1: well, why, would, why would doctors do this? And why would... Because
0: they're scared. What they're, is- they're scared of being wrong. Hmm. They're scared of a bad outcome happening and getting sued. Even though, I, again, I think that that's blown out of proportion. But it's a real fear. They they don't have the time. Because mm-hmm. what I just read, I, I watched the clock there. What I just read actually took about four minutes. Right. And And, and that was... But it took me probably... 25 30 minutes to write this to write to thought think this through and write my response right. to page. Who's got that kind of time other than, you know, the midwifery model where we do have that kind of time? Exactly. But nobody has that kind of time to give consent.
1: So because basically you're saying that in the visits that clients have with the doctor, there may be 10 minutes? Is it a 10 Well, minute, I would say it?
0: a 10-minute OB visit is actually a, a, a good OB visit in the, in the medical model. So
1: 10 minutes at the most, I mean, unless you have someone exceptional that's giving you 15 or 20 minutes. Midwifery model of care, we traditionally do 50 minutes to an hour, but that's, a, that's another paradigm. However, so you're saying that if a person goes into the OB's office, they have a 6-minute f- to 10-minute OB visit, that the doctor actually doesn't have the time to explain these the the different ways of looking at it. The doctor is not taking time to, to do well, the informed consent because wouldn't the informed consent, good informed consent, help cover and the issues yeah, concerned about would. liability. Of course it would. So you're saying that
0: But you but think about this. If it took me twenty minutes to formulate this response to her and then it, and then I didn't even get into talking about the risks of cesarean, which I mentioned in the in the email, but I'd have to talk about the risks of cesarean, the risks of induction. These things are never mentioned. What's mentioned is the relative risk because that's the expedient number to skew or funnel a person down the path that you, the physician, feel safest or most comfortable with.
1: And but wait, and then you're talking about the physician, but then I was thinking about this uh, today and thinking about the consumer. Like, what's in the consumer's mind, and where are we as women and men going into birth, people going into birth? Why are we so scared of birth? Why are we going in there saying, oh, yeah, well, well, he said or she said the doctor said so this is what we have to do. I mean, you people when they buy a car. You know, they usually, like, check out all different models, and they check out the prices, and they see what they can afford, and what's going... They might even get consumer reports. They might... They're going to do some research, but...
0: No, but you know what? I, I know where you're going with this. Most I'm people just- don't do that. I mean, look, at there are people every day that are still sending money to get a date from some woman in Nigeria. Okay? <laughs> 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 all right? You know, my, uh, my, uh, my dad... Your dad was doing that. No, my okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: I y'all wish, need to you check know what? on him. If
0: my dad was doing that, that would be fine with me. Okay? <laughs> he can no. do whatever he wants, but, right? But now. my dad gets gets uh, you know he gives money to charity, and right. so when you give money to charity, they sell your name, and now you start getting instead of getting one or two letters a week from. You know hunger here and, and starvation here and little yeah. kids here. Right. Um, he gets four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fifteen letters. My sister has to go through his mail. Right. To keep him from yeah sending out money. And my dad is you a, can give him my My, my dad's a smart guy, but he's older and he and he's the average consumer and he doesn't right. really look into things. Right. And he doesn't know what percentage of the money he's giving is actually going to help anybody. Nobody looks into that sort of thing. Right. Sort of like the Clinton Foundation, but oh. we will no politics won't, and no sports. We won't talk go there. Show. Well, no. hockey. We're going to uh-uh. talk hockey uh-uh. when hockey no. season starts. No. All right, but but you get to the point. You get my point is that the average consumer doesn't know better, doesn't really know anything, and then by the way, in this case, her father, who's an OB, all right, right, right. agreed. Agreed. So
1: well, he's but he comes out of the same system as the other OB. So what? I mean, I'm not well, surprised. But, that's, but it's
0: fri- but it's frightening me. You're saying, why doesn't the consumer know better? And I could also say, why doesn't the OB I know better? I agree. I
1: think it's on both. I think it's on both sides. And I think that I, I think that we are being taken advantage of because we don't question. I mean, if if I'm in a situation with a client who doesn't know any better, if I'm unethical, um, I can just tell them whatever I want because I'm the authority figure, and they're gonna you know they're gonna listen to me. They're gonna do what I say. But that's where the ethics comes in I mean, every client deserves and see how i say client and y'all say patience but i feel it's a client every person that i come in contact with any person deserves informed consent and you can't you don't want to assume that well they're just they don't know any better so i'm just going Yeah, and we've
0: talked about this before that it's impossible to give true informed consent but you certainly can Why give, can't
1: you, even if you don't have enough time, Stu, in the office, a doctor can send, very well say, here's links. a bunch of stuff for you to look at before your next visit, okay? And I want you to go over this and I want you to think about this. I mean, it can be done. It's yep. just there's no incentive for it to be done. No,
0: the incentives are actually the opposite.
1: Exactly. The so. incentives
0: are, are to, you know, if I induce her at 39 weeks and then she ends up with a cesarean section... You know, so what?
1: But and that's the other because it's not
0: going to affect me the rest of my life. And the
1: thing is that when you talk about the risk of cesarean section, and I mean, it's it's one of those things that really hits home with me because I did have a cesarean, and I do have some complications from that. And you know, whatever my 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 no one has been checking up on me in the past twenty five years to see how those complications are going. That's my thing I got to deal with now. And people are going into operative childbirth surgeries thinking that there are no risks because no one is telling them about them or it's in fine print and they didn't read it because they were about to get their C section before they signed that paper. And then when they have problems postpartum, there's no, no one is, is, is is tracking how these complications can affect a woman's long-term health. So it's as if there are no complications from getting a C section. And there are, Um, I, you know, we were just listening to a a person that came to see you I find it interesting that so many people come to see you from very far away to 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 try and 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 find a different option um, and I mean you have people coming to you now from out of state yep. you have people coming to you from you know two and three and four hours away looking for another option, at least they're coming to get that informed consent that they can't get from their local um, community. And, it, and, and and when women are having one C-section, two C-sections, three C-sections, you know, that primary C-section, as a matter of fact, a toolkit was just created um, and I can't remember the uh, organization, but I'll, I'll, I'll see if Renee can link it, for providers to help them to give them skills to help them learn the providers to learn how to help avoid that primary C-section because I think it's the big, big issues are with these. Who put that out? Uh, It was the Coalition for, I'll find it, Christine Morton. uh, Dr. Christine Morton is the PhD that's been working on this effort and I will try to look it up while we're sitting here talking. But they put out a a toolkit, it's free, to help providers learn how to avoid that primary C-section because from that primary C-section, OK, so we're talking about a woman getting induced at 39 weeks, which increases the risk of her having a C-section. And ACOG kind of put out an opinion that why doesn't everybody, why don't we induce everybody at 39 weeks Well, we increase the risk of C-section? Then when you're talking about primary C-section, then woman gets pregnant again and then she goes to the doctor and they're like, either we don't do not do VBACs, She wants a vaginal birth. Well, sorry, we don't do it here. Or, um, you know you know what, it's too risky. Let's just do another C-section. Then you have, what or they if that start, woman wasn't... Or to have, they
0: start them off on the path that, yes, you can have a V-back, but then but they then start... But then
1: they're not available.
0: Well, they, yeah, they're not available or they start to find reasons why that's not going to be a good idea.
1: Exactly. And so, you know, you have women having two, three, four C-sections Um. Experiencing complications each and every time, growing complications, and what if that woman wants to grow her family? You know, each child that she has yeah. so raises you, her risk. You
0: mentioned that the yesterday when you were not yesterday, but well, now it's weeks ago, but uh, you were in the office and we uh, you you didn't finish the story. There was a client. Okay,
1: I, there was someone that came in and that it was, a, it was a woman that was looking a family, mom and dad that were looking for another option. They were pregnant with their fifth baby. They had four prim- four C sections prior to first one, four a a failed induction why because she was 41 weeks she was induced at 41 weeks not because the health of her baby was at risk not because her health was at risk is because a relative risk probably was thrown at her and told what we got to kind of get this baby out because if we wait longer you know your baby might die so she said okay she trusted her provider her induction failed she was given a c section wasn't even
0: wasn't even a she, real induction she
1: wasn't in, she was induced it, for 12 hours 12, before no, she got no no
0: cervical ripening 12, 12, hours, 12 hours, hours of pain, never really got contracting had a c section you right.
1: know and and had a c section went to have her second baby was in a different country. The doctor said I don't really know that much about you so I think I'm just going to give you a C-section because I don't really know you. So second C-section. Third C-section, well you had two already so we're just going to give you another one. Fourth C-section well you had three already, we're just going to give you another C-section. And and the mom, you know, also described, and I won't get too much into it here, but just having complications in her fourth C-section yep. due to the three prior C-sections. So, I listen. I'm all for C-sections if they're necessary. It's a life-saving procedure. It's going to save moms and babies. But why are we pushing women into C-sections when they have risks? Answer that for me.
0: Is that a rhetorical question? I or don't is not know.
1: It? I'm just <laughs> mad now. I'm mad.
0: Yeah. yeah, I like it when you get mad. Exactly. You're you're. you're you're good when you're mad. You're good when you're not mad. You
1: know, but it's true. It's 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 frustrating because I think the the other frustrating aspect of it is I think about all the women. You know, this this particular woman said, "Well, I just didn't know." I mean, she's an intelligent person. Yep. You could tell. A lot, part, are, a
0: lot of them lot of very professional people. You know, they're accountants. They're they're lawyers, Intelligent, they're, and, and they so don't and they and they don't about, know.
1: Think what's happening to women who who may not have the the education that this particular woman had or maybe a lower socioeconomic status or maybe indigent i mean think about the treatment that they're getting cuz this woman wasn't in, is intelligent what what i see over and over again is that families just say hey well that's the doctor and i put my trust in the doctor cuz after all they're a doctor and so they must know what's best and then they just kind of follow along and here this this lady is Four births later, four C sections later, saying, "Actually, I actually don't want a C section next time." And I didn't even know that it was possible to not have a C section. Yeah. And so that's why I'm here. Um, and and it's 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 heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: And so and 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 you know, I I love the fact that you just sort of got went off the deep end there a little bit, which is good. <laughs> no, no, I mean, which is really good because it you you basically got to vent which is one of the good things that we have when you and I get together for the podcast. We get to spend uh, 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 35, 40 minutes um, venting. Um, we could call it Dr. Stu's psychotherapy fo- <laughs> podcast. Too. Um, for, for us. And and I hope that for our listeners that we're not we're not uh, causing too much uh, aggravation and anxiety by pointing this stuff out. The whole purpose of the podcast is really to have a little bit of fun but also to educate. And so this information gets passed on. It gets... It gets archived so that it's always out there oh John's playing the music so it's about about that time again I just wanted to say that um, to Paige and all these other oh you want to you want to well, read Paige, that, Paige
1: I, responded to uh, your response and she said thank you for the reply and statistics after reading your response I can see how easily someone could leave out some of the data to push a mom to make the choice that he or she prefers and although you did not attend our births you were definitely a part of what made them both such a positive and empowering experience for us and and that goes for kim too so i thank you Paige. um we appreciate this is good therapy
0: for me too (laughs) because i'm feeling i'm feeling very good right now so listen i want to thank all of you again for listening this has been dr stew's podcast number one hundred and one Please continue to listen to us on iTunes or drstewspodcast.com. Write letters. Again, I will respond. Uh, maybe not as lengthy as I did to Paige, but I will respond to all of them. And if they're uh, really pertinent to what we want to talk about, we will read them on the air. It's at askdrstew at gmail.com. Uh, for, Kim, uh, for Kim Durden, this is Dr. Stuart Fishbein. Again, thank you very much for listening.